Well, I am uh, excited this morning to be able to continue on in our sermon series about prayer. Uh, We've been talking about prayer here for the last five, six weeks at Grassroots because as a community this year, I'm challenging each and every one of us to go a little bit deeper in our life of praying. The the life of prayer is a a kind of like going to the gym, working out. You need to, to, to exercise the muscles. It just doesn't happen. You don't just go in and lift a lot of weights and, and run a marathon uh, overnight. And so we, we need some practice with this. We need lots of reminders. And so uh, this is Sermon 6 of, I don't know, 52, 53. I'm going to preach for a long time on prayer because not only is it that important, but it just really takes this much time in order to sort of sink in the fact that we need to kind of keep on working. Now, I'm guessing that everyone who's sitting here this morning has a desire at some level to grow in prayer, to be able to know how to pray better, to know how to engage in God, uh, with God better. And so um, I'm I'm, I'm not going to take a show of hands, but I'm guessing that that most of us want to grow in this. That's why we're here. And so... um, the invitation stands, you know? If, if, if I just get up here for 52 times and I just say, figure out how to pray, you need it. It's, you, you'll, you'll, you'll thank me, please do it. And that's the end of my sermon. That would probably be enough just to keep sort of being persistent. Uh, hopefully I can give you some good advice and uh, inspiration along the way. And that's what we're doing here. So Words in the Dark is, is the title because oftentimes praying feels like that. Oftentimes praying feels like um, we are, God is leaving us in the dark or uh, we, don't know, we can't really feel our way through life well. And so somehow God is calling us to give words to that, uh, our sense of neediness, our sense of needing God to show us the way um, and, uh, and so forth. So uh, I tested this beforehand. It was working. Woo-hoo. Okay, didn't work last week. Uh, so, so prayer has tons of benefits, friends. Um, there's there's uh, the physical benefits of prayer. There's the relational benefits. There's a sense that our world can be calmed uh, in the life of prayer. God promises that those who seek him, those who seek his face will have all sorts of, uh, their life will go better. I mean, there's all of this. Um, but at the end of the day, what, what God says is, is don't relate with me for my gifts and my benefits only. It's like, it's like sometimes we can start to pray and start to get into a life of prayer and you know, things happen, but things maybe don't happen in our timing, in our way, and we can get disillusioned. And God's, at the very, very start of prayer, God teaches us that, yes, there's lots of benefits, but if you're in it for the benefits, uh, he's going to sort of stall you out, so to speak, in your life of prayer until you can work out the fact uh, that you can love God for him uh, and him alone, not just his benefits. So we'll get into that in the weeks to come. Uh, eventually, we'll get into, I'll, I'll list out some of the benefits and we'll go through them piece by piece. Um, some of our shallow prayers, I've been talking uh, recently about kind of gateways into the heart of God, which is that we need to come with, um, with a sense of patience and humility, and we need to come with a sense um, that we are needy. And if we walk around arrogantly thinking that we don't need anything, that we've got it together, if we walk around uh, feeling like God should work on our time, it's like these are non-starters. The life of prayer doesn't go anywhere from there. And so um, one of the things that I I, I haven't emphasized as much as I have wanted to is this, on this point of arrogance and entitlement, is that um, I think a lot of people don't really like to pray or don't really know what to pray because they've sort of maybe been 
disappointed, disillusioned, uh, and hurt. Not just by God's mysterious timing, but by other people who are praying out of entitlement and arrogance. Um, they, see, they see other people, you know, kind of demanding things of God. They see other people sort of walking around with some sort of smug arrogance. And they're like, if that's praying, I don't want that. And so if, 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 um, if we are, are turned off by that kind of prayer, then good, we should be. Uh, prayer is much more needy. It's much more humble. Uh, and it's not like going to Santa Claus. Um, so other points that we've mentioned so far. Jesus prayed in his life on earth and is praying now. And that alone should encourage us. If Jesus needed to pray, we should, we should engage in this kind of prayer. The early Christians, they breathed prayer. They were day in and day out, the, the, the book of Acts tell us that they were always praying. It's something the, the book of Acts says they devoted themselves to. One of the four things. And the temple was the Mecca of prayer. I, thought, I, I wrote that this week, and I thought that's interesting because that's an idiom we use, the mecca of something. Like you go to the Mall of America, and it's the mecca of American consumerism. You know, and Mecca, of course, is a Muslim place of worship. Well, the temple, the ancient temple, which stood on the, the dome of the, where the Dome of the Rock is now, uh, was their mecca, the Jewish mecca, the place where they believe God's very presence lived. And so as we were going through all this on prayer... I'm taking us also through the Psalms and hoping that we, you know, our, our love and excitement for the Psalms grows. And if we don't understand about the temple and its place, and I'll keep teaching on this, well, some of the Psalms seem opaque to us. So, last thing to say, are you bored with prayer? Are you bored with this sermon series already? If so, sorry. Uh, it's okay if you feel that way. Uh, my invitation to you is this. If you, if, if you feel like you don't need this, or you're past this, or you're not sure you want this, what, what's out of joint? If that's how you feel, there's something out of joint. I mean, prayer is everything. It's the foundation of our life. It's the air we breathe. It's the, it's the very thing which feeds us in our spiritual life. We, it's the thing which our faith is dependent upon. If we stop praying, our faith will slowly grow weaker. So um, something's out of joint. And it's important for you to figure that, out what that is. What's out of joint? Is it uh, something that you went through? Is that a gr- something that you're grieving over? Is, is it something that you're angry about with God? It's okay, whatever that is. But maybe this is an uh, interesting um, moment in your life, an important moment in your life to figure that out. Uh, and the final piece, let's just sort of recapping where we're at. And what I'm trying to say to us is, I, I haven't yet got into the techniques of prayer. That actually will come after January. The, here, here are the formulas of prayer. Here are the, here's the way Jesus teaches us how to pray. Here's the things that you might do in order to build, build your prayer life. I'm not teaching you how to lift heavy weights yet. I'm just teaching, I'm trying to get those muscles and ligaments engaged in you right now so that when it comes to that time, you've got enough stamina and muscle to be able to do some heavy lifting. So what until then? What, you know, if I haven't given you the how-tos of prayer yet, I'm trying to keep us focused on the whys. Why are we doing this? What's, why, why are we doing this at all? And the only way to get this life of prayer, grow, prayer going is to pray. 
You gotta pray. You, you gotta take every anxiety of your life, you gotta take every uh, situation of your life and you've gotta turn it into prayer. Um, this week I was praying uh, in, in my prayer time and I always struggled this week, I'll be honest with you. This was kind of a rougher week for me in, in, in my prayer life. I would get into prayer and so much would rush in, so many disappointments and so many uh, pieces of anxiety and I was just, I just didn't know what to do with it. And I, I felt like you know, other times I'm able to sort of, in some ways, suspend all of those things in, in my body and in my heart and mind, turn my attention fully to, to the face of God, to looking at him. Um, and I was remembering, like, that's being able to suspend everything and turn our full attention to God and see how long we, that lasts. That's like heavy lifting kind of prayer. And the type of prayer that we need to even get there and begin doing that is conversational prayer. And I was doing that this week. I was thinking, oh, I've got these seven things I need to do. I've got this report to write. I've got, you know, a baby coming in three weeks. You know, these things rush into one's mind. And uh, I was, uh, I caught myself halfway through the week. And then I just started doing that. Okay, God, there's this baby coming and I'm a bit nervous about the whole labor process as if I'm the one that should be nervous. Um, and so I would just say, okay, God, be with us. Be with Eve. Be with, you know. Just, and that's how we start. That's how the life of prayer begins. That's how it gets going, is taking little things that come across your mind and bringing them in your neediness to God. And if you're a person who hasn't had a prayer life or wants to, to begin, this is the place to begin. And that's why I'm going to just reiterate this point in seven ways for the next many weeks. Start praying. Start throwing your needs up to God and, and get those muscles working so that when we get to some of the deeper mysteries of prayer and the techniques, you're ready. Okay. Um, in all of this, um, where we're at now, we're in a little mini-series on praying in community. Because the next point that builds off of just conversational prayer is how important it is that we learn conversational prayer in community. You can try this alone, you can struggle, you can uh, have your own prayer closet, so to speak, metaphorically, where you go and it's just you, and that's great. But when you, the, one of the only ways to get these muscles going uh, is in community, especially, especially if you're not a person who's had a prayer life. So find other people, get involved with home groups, uh, learn, to ask for, for, uh, learn to ask people if they want to pray with you, these kind of things. And so this week, I'm talking specifically about praying with children. Uh, many of, of you who are here in this room today have children uh, and um, are wondering, how do I pray with my kids? And so we're going to get into that today because praying with your kids is a really important part of getting this conversational life going. Now, some of you don't have kids. Um, some of you have kids in your life, but don't have kids of your own. And I realize that as we get into this topic of family and, and praying with family, we're, all, we're getting into some tender spots. Because some of you want kids and haven't been able to have kids. Um, some of you have had kids and they've been a heartache and a heartbreak. Some of you may have had kids and their life has blown up in your face and you're, going, and, and you're carrying lots of heavy guilt. So uh, my invitation to you today, or my, the first thing I want to do is honor everyone in this room where they're at with this. Um, uh, I want to honor the pain that, that families can bring, especially children. But I'm going to go into the teaching of children in depth anyway, because if you don't have kids and you, you want kids, maybe someday God will give you kids, and this will, this will be uh, important stuff. Or maybe uh, someday you'll, you'll adopt, and um, this will come into to, to play. 
Or maybe someday um, you'll be talking with someone who has kids and they're pulling their hair out because they don't know how to pray with their kids. This will be helpful. Or maybe someday, and this is true of many of you now, you'll be assisting or leading back in the Roots and Shoots children's worship. And a lot of this will be applicable then. So um, I honor your pain. I honor wherever you're at today with this. Uh, I would invite you to, to enter into it with me. And so, praying with, with kids. We're, we're in a couple different psalms today in, in the next couple weeks, and, and they're called the Songs of Ascent. There's a couple, uh, there's, there's 14 of them, but there's three of them, and we did one last week, and we'll do the final two today, Psalm 127 and 128. And these are the psalms about family. These are the family psalms. If you want to get into the teaching about family in the, in the, in the psalms, you go to the Songs of Ascent in these particular family psalms. Um, and, and today you'll hear a couple words like this. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem unless the guard um, builds the city, unless the guard guards the city as well. You'll hear that. Um, and I just, just to get you, your mind going as, as to how this all works, these are the songs of ascent, which means that as you would go up to Jerusalem, let's say, imagine yourself a couple thousand years ago, you're in Israel, you're a, a faithful Jewish person, and every, um, or three, at least three times a year, God has told you to go up to Jerusalem and engage in festival, which means that one time of year you'll go up to Jerusalem and what you'll do is you'll remember how God protected and fed his people in the wilderness in the Exodus generation. Moses and all, his, all of his people. And you'll go up once a year to remember that God did that. And you'll build a little booth and you'll put some harvest and grapes and all of that on it. And you'll spend a week remembering God's faithfulness in that generation. That's a festival. And you'll have parties and you'll laugh and you'll be with friends and family. Another time of the year you'd go up at Passover. And you'd bring with you some money or a lamb if you had the money or a little dove if you didn't. And you'd bring it up and you'd spend a week, 18 days sometimes, in Jerusalem. And you'd offer your sacrifices remembering that God rescued his people out of Egypt. This is the, the life, the festival life in the family life of Israel. And so when you, hear the, when you hear people talk about going to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was set on top of a mountain. So if you're coming from the north and the south and the east and the west, you're going to be going up. You're going to go up the mountains to Jerusalem to set up your tent and hang out there for a couple weeks. And so these are the songs of ascent. And we imagine that as people went up to festival with their families, they would be singing these songs in joy as they'd getting, be getting ready for their holidays once again. And we've completely lost this in our, in our Christian tradition, which is sad, these uh, festivals. I would love it if we could figure out a way to to recapture some of this festival work because I think some of our faith and the fragility of our faith is because we don't remember what God has done. Anyway, all that to say, these are the songs of ascent. And so uh, people are going up to Jerusalem and they're going to see a beautiful giant temple built and they're going to go offer their praise and sacrifices there. Uh, so psalms, these psalms, they presuppose a praying community. That means you're not going to just you're not going to hear a lot of specific teaching on how to teach your kids to pray in the Psalms because it's just the air that the psalmists are breathing. It's just their life. They, they, don't, they don't know how to give words to it because it's like a fish in water. How does a fish describe water? It's just everywhere around them. So as we enter into these Psalms, especially in community and ones on the, uh, the life of kids, 
Uh, let's keep that in mind. So praying with kids, that's where we're going today. And I, was, I, love, I love this picture because I, it just struck me that like, how often have I taken and devoted time outside of my busy life to pray with my kids. I pray at nighttime, I pray at meals, and sometimes on random spots. But it's not yet built into my life and their life. Is it built into your life and their life? Just imagine this. Praying together as a family. So here we go. Psalm 127. Here, here's the Psalm 127 in, in, its entire, in its entirety. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Imagine singing this song. I've just gone through a hectic few months at work, and now I'm going up and taking a week out of my life to go up to Jerusalem to remember God's, God's promise, and we're singing, oh, that's right, I've been anxiously toiling once again. I haven't been able to, um, to give my life over to God. Sons, the psalmist goes on, are indeed a heritage from the Lord, and we can translate that from their culture into ours. Sons and daughters are indeed a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Uh, that's right. So um, let's, let's dive into this just a little bit. What's this telling us? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor in vain. How much in our life do we get on building our lives, building our projects, building our, our, our work life, our building our um, resumes and, account, and accounts and our, uh, and our nest eggs? How often do we do that in a way that completely blocks out God's presence in our life, the rhythms that we need of his presence in our life? And this is what this psalmist is reminding us. And you can build your house literally or figuratively, but until you've remembered and circled and, and built it around your devotion to God, you're going to be building in vain, says the psalmist. You're going to be waking up early and rush, 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 build, build, build. And you're going to be staying up late, rush, 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 build, build, build. And at the end of the day, you're going to realize that you haven't had any space in it oriented around your life of prayer. Uh, and it's in vain, um, for he gives sleep to his beloved. And that's the way of saying, when we rest in the promise that God is the one who provides for us, we don't have to build a life that excludes him. We can build a life that includes him. And that's what the life of prayer is about. And this phrase is the most sharp of all. Can you, it's just eating the bread of anxious toil. Can you imagine that? Just someone hovering and stooped over over their, their, their meal at nine o'clock at night, eating the bread of anxious toil. That's, that's not the life that, um, that is going to be anywhere fulfilling or helpful uh, in, 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 our, in our life of prayer. And it goes on to talk about, you know, sons and daughters are in a heritage from the Lord. And it's just this one, this one's reminder that even, even the, the responsibility 
of raising up a child is like building a house. We are building something as we build into our children. And unless that we've built that with the Lord's presence and the life of prayer at the heart of it, we're going to be building that in vain as well. So a call to build the life of prayer and the life of remembering God's goodness into our kids. So that's Psalm 127. And the next one goes on in other, in other songs. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy and it shall go well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man or woman be who blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May the prosperity of Jerusalem, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. What an interesting song that reminds us um, that our children can be like olive trees. Now, I don't know if anyone here grows olive trees in this climate, but if you do, let me know. I want to know you. Olive trees only really grow in, in uh, tropical climates or um, climates different than this. But if you've ever been anywhere where there's olive trees, or if you've been, has anyone ever been in an olive grove here? I mean, the trees are, a couple people, the trees are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years old. Um, I've been in an olive grove once where some of the trees were older, like they were around before Jesus was walking the earth, and it's still sort of sprouting and living. These are old, enduring, strong trees. And so when we think of someone being like an olive tree, that's what it's saying. They are steady and secure and long-lasting. And the, the, the tides of change in life, they will withstand. Uh, what I want to specifically focus in here is this. May you see your children's children um, if you go through the whole Psalms and you read all 150, one of the things you'll hear over and over again is this. The next generation. The next generation. The next generation. And the Psalms are reminding us that it's our job to pass on the life of prayer and the life of, of living with God from generation to generation. So you, you'll hear in Psalm 48, for example, walk about Zion. Here again, the Zion is another name for the mountain of Jerusalem. Go around it, consider its towers, consider well its ramparts, go through its citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, your God forever and ever. He will be our guide. Our job is to tell the next generation and teach them who is at the center of our universe. Psalm 71, oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to my old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to all the generations to come. Do you, do you have gray hairs out there? A couple of, couple of us. This is a psalm for you. A psalm, don't take me, Lord. Give me long life so I can keep on Proclaiming your goodness to all generations in your might. It's our job to pass this life on. Psalm 78. I'm just going to, I just put a whole chunk here because Psalm 78 is one of the richest of these types of prayers. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. And this phrase, words in the dark, come up again. In our in, in the past, in the ancient history, things that we remember uh, that they have known 
that they experience, that are in our scriptures, we're going to tell our kids, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell of it to the coming generation. He established a decree in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. That happened way back when, says the psalmist, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. And this is the great teaching of Deuteronomy 6. Um, you've got to, to, to um, teach the generations to come to fear me, says the Lord. You shall write it on uh, your clothes, write it on your doorposts. Do everything you can to teach your kids who I am, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and rise up and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God, that they should not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The, the memory of the Exodus generation who God did wonderful deeds and showed up visibly and audibly to them and still they had a hard time following and their hearts were hard and turned. And the psalmist says, teach them to... Teach them the laws, teach them God's ways so that they don't turn. So that they're not like that generation. And I don't know about you what your spiritual heritage is. I don't know if you grew up in a family whose your parents taught you to pray or taught you how to find God's presence in your life. You may not have that heritage. Some of you might. Um, but if you, if you haven't, if you haven't been given the heritage, you're sort of starting from square one. Many people aren't starting from square one. Their parents taught them. Their parents um, brought them up. But you may be starting from square one. And that's okay if that's your life. It, it, makes it, a little, it gives you a little more work to do to figure out in your own life how to live a life of prayer. But it's your job to pass this on to the next generation. So here's the thing. As we get to the nitty-gritty of praying with kids, uh, church and family. The, the, the church here is, is not meant to replace the family in the life of prayer. You can bring your kids here and we'll, we'll draw them into the presence of God week in and week out in the Roots and Shoots ministry. It's, it's a great privilege and we'll do that. We will, if you're struggling with this, we'll find a way as a community to support you and resource you and help you. But ultimately, think of how many hours the kids are with, your kids are with you versus they are here. They're with you so much more. Your, your family unit, the place that you call home, is the perfect spot for kids to figure out how to love the Lord. God has kind of created it that way. And so your job, it's not simple. <laughs> I would never say that. But your job is straightforward. Draw your kids up and raise them up in a non-abusive context, in a context where they feel safe and seen and honored. And help them in your family to live a cruciform life. I mean, he, here's what I mean by that. Those are sort of big words. We're here as a community because Jesus is teaching us what it is to live selflessly. What it is to live in a way that where we, where we seek the hardest things in life rather than the easiest. Where we seek to serve in our life rather than be served. Where we seek to wash dirty feet than have our feet cared for. These are metaphors. We're, we're here to learn to love selflessly. And, and we can do that in church, but the best place to do that is your home. Because it's the place most naturally aligned to, to need grace and forgiveness. You know, like, are, are you someone who's like, um, teaches, teaches your kids to be uh, kind to other people, and yet they see you maligning and with, with bitterness speaking and slandering others? 
What do you think they're going to do? How do you think they're going to be formed up? Um, we need to, to help them to, to figure out. It's the most unnatural thing to do to live a life of grace and forgiveness. But the home is the best place for it because I've got two girls and they need to learn how to do this like 700 times a day. It's just over and over again. And so, uh, and help them not just grow in their spiritual life, but to help them to know what it is to recognize God's presence in their life. We can be small-minded and distracted and uh, stubborn-hearted people like the psalmist says. Um, We need someone to teach us over and over again how to keep our eyes fixed on God. So families are the most important environment for healthy spiritual formation. And here's the thing. If you want your kids to have an authentic relationship with their creator, they have to, have, they have to see you having one. This is the, 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 probably the key to praying with your kids. I'll, I'll read these other points and go into this. If you are at a place where your prayers are silent, where you feel like you can't pray or your prayer life is stalled out, if they can't see you praying, at least you can explain to them why they don't see you praying. At least you can explain, I've gone through this and I want to pray, I want to have a prayer life, but it's just, it's not possible right now. It's, it's your job, if your life is, prayer life is stalled out, at least to explain that's what's going on. Otherwise, um, otherwise, other people are going to shape them and form them. You are the best one to give them the tools for prayer. And that might be a scary thing for some of you. I think, I, I'm not the best one. I'm the, le- the last one in the world that should be teaching my kids how to pray. Uh, but actually, you're the first, as, as broken or ragged as you may be as a parent. Um, God has given them to you and you to them. It, and uh, he trusts you. He believes in you. You can do it. You can teach these kids what it is to draw close to God. Um, now, I'll, I'll say it like this again. Um, the best way for you to teach them how to pray is for them to see you praying. It's, it's interesting. I've noticed, or I actually read this somewhere, um, that um, when Jesus' disciples asked him to pray, never in the Gospels does Jesus go and hound them. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. Pray, 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 pray. He's not on their back hounding them to pray. He's just praying. He's going to pray, pray enough and pray in their sight long enough to where they come and to say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us to do what you're doing. And my invitation to you, I think that's the exact strategy that, uh, that parents need to, to, to mimic. We need to pray and pray always and pray in ways that our kids finally say, hey, can you teach us to do that? That's the way that it's going to catch on. That's the way Jesus did it, and that's the way you can, you can do it too. Um, we need authenticity, but we also need intentional, intentionality, symbol, practices, and imagination. So um, some people kind of in their home life, they lean out against intentionality. And I kind of, uh, even I are a bit different in this, I kind of lean towards authenticity, and she understands the deep importance of intentionality. And we kind of meet somewhere in the middle and do our dance as parents. Um, and... Uh, no doubt we, need to, we don't need to shove things down our kid's throat. We don't need to like force them to do things. That at some point, they should be able to be so impressed or in, inspired by what you're doing that they should come to you. Um, but we also, as the, 
the psalmists knew, as the ancient Israelites knew, we need festival, we need rhythms, we need symbol, because these are the things which allow us to grow and develop in prayer. And what, what do I mean by this? When we, um, well, what do I mean by this? Intentionality, symbol, practices, and imagination. Symbol, for example, how, what kind of symbols can we give to our kids in prayer? Um, one, of, one of the simplest ways is bowing, bodily posture, folding our hands, learning how to jump for joy when you're excited in prayer, learning how to curl up in a ball when you're sad. You can teach your kids to use their bodies intentionally to, to, to worship God and to pray with God. So do your kids need to, need, need, need to pray? Do it at a time where they can actually bow. Get down on your knees together with, with kids. That's a wonderful idea. Um, but we also need the practices and imagination. I'll get into this in a second. Um, when we pray with our kids, um, we recognize they are gods. So this is an invitation. As you pray with your kids, as you come to, to a conversational type of tone with your kids, as you pray together with them, um, something happens when, in, in your heart where you realize, oh, they're not mine alone. Uh, you remember that there's a mysterious creator who is who they really are. We are given our kids uh, as a responsibility for just a short time, but they're really gods. And praying with your kids can help remind you of that. Uh, prayer also draws us into the mystery um, of what would be merely human interaction. And so, you know, we interact with our kids and we mess it up and we, 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 we screw things up and sometimes they're great and it's really good. And at that, at that level, it's just a merely human interaction. But if we have prayer rhythms with our families and with our kids, we, we, we insert mystery into the, into the relationship. And the kids will feel it and you'll feel it. Uh, and it's important that that happens, that they see that, that there's a deeper mystery at work. And it also alters their sense of your care for them. As you pray for your kids, as they hear you um, praying for them and laying your hands on them, they have a deeper sense of care. And if you're someone who struggles to express that you care for your kid for whatever reason... Prayer is an awesome way to sort of bridge that gap. And even if they're kicking and screaming, even if they don't want that, I'm not telling them to force them to pray. I'm saying you pray for them regularly and with compassion, and that will catch. They will understand that deeply in them. Um, your, your kid going through something at school that they can't control, is, are they getting bullied? Well, do talk to their principal. But also pray for them. Pray that 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 they would be you know, explicitly go up, whether it's bedtime or not. Hey, can I pray for you? Uh, pray over the, the fact that their heart is hurt and that they're feeling bullied and pray that they might be protected. There would be a deep sense of care that comes through that kind of praying. Um, do conversational prayer. You, don't, you, don't, you may not know the right words. It's okay. There's no right words. That's conversational praying. Um, before you pray with your kids, before you sit down and pray with them, uh, have them give words to their thoughts. Hey, tell me what's happening. What kind of feelings are you feeling like th this, this, um, this week? What kind of things are you worried about? What kind of things are you unsure about? Get them to give words to that and then just make a bullet point list and pray for each of them. Teach them, when you do that, you're teaching them the conversational type of prayer. Uh, teach them words like alleluia and shalom. Sometimes these words are big and we don't know exactly, always have kids understanding what they, what they mean. Sometimes we don't. Alleluia, it's a psalmist 
uh, type of prayer over and over again. It means praise God. It simply means that. We're just going to praise God. It means God is a person who we're going to give our love and attention to. And we're going we're gonna to praise him for who he is and what he's done. Shalom is peace. The deep underlying peace that comes from a life of prayer. Teach them these words. And as you do, they'll grow in the life of prayer too. And then help them as you're praying with them, move from the Santa God to the living God. When you're, when you're praying with your kids, you know, and, and you find yourself in petition and praying for, for things, maybe other people, and you're praying, um, God, can you fix that? And God, can you give us this? And can you give them that? You're subtly reinforcing that God is like Santa. Teach them at a young age. God doesn't always answer our prayers, but he does resolve them. He, we, we may not understand what happens in our life, but he, God is on the throne. And you can teach them from a young age to move away from the Santa Claus God that we oftentimes get ourselves caught up with. Um, here we go. Symbols. Bowing, kneading, folding hands, um, raising them. Uh, sometimes, like I do this when I have an infant, hopefully... I can do this with this one. You know, I, I, I oftentimes will just raise them up a little bit, raise them up to, to God. Uh, running, jumping, curling up in a ball. And feasts and meaning. I mean, we need rhythms in our, in our homes. Uh, what even I, I do is at every, every meal time and dinner time, we have a, a prayer thing with kids. Every Saturday morning or so, uh, doesn't happen every week, but we get out this little blue book of prayers. And the kids know the blue book is coming out. And he's like, let's turn to this prayer. And, and Claire's got, the, got it memorized. She's like, repeat after me, and she's, Claire's just memorized it. Um, and I don't even know the, the prayer yet. I'm like, I, I try to pray, and I mess it all up. Uh, but we need rhythms. We need practices. We need um, feast-like things which constantly remind us of, of, um, of praying in God's presence. Imagination prayers. We need imagination in, in the life of prayer. Uh, if, if your kid has a bruise or a cut, it's okay to put your hand over the bruise and cut and say, we are now imagining the light of Jesus uh, protecting and healing you. It seems like a small, trivial thing, but it's not. You're teaching your kids that the very small things of their life matter to God, and they do. Um, Jesus' healing lights. Uh, this was an example I got out of a, a book, and I just did this recently. Was, some of you may know my daughter has a swallowing disorder that we're going to need to go down to Toronto in about a month for her to um, get uh, get looked at, and, and there may be some surgery involved. Um, but we, we were struggling to get a hold of the doctors um, because, you know, these are specialists. They're inundated with people. And so I went upstairs uh, just last week, and um, I said, Autumn, let's come over to, to prayer. She to Claire's bed, and Autumn came over to Claire's bed, and I said, put your hand on Claire. And I said, Autumn, do you have imagination? Yeah, I thought I have imagination. It's like, is it a good imagination or bad? It's a good imagination. I said, well, let's imagine ourselves right at that place where Claire is broken. Let's just imagine, see if we can imagine ourselves there. Now let's imagine the healing light of Jesus coming down upon that spot. And I, we didn't, Jesus, we pray for healing. We didn't do any of that. We're just imagining your healing, Jesus. We're imagining your light coming down on, on Claire's, on Claire's um, esophagus. And then when they went to bed, I went back upstairs and somehow, I don't know, I, love, I like praying over my children um, when they're asleep. It takes, sort of disarms them a bit. I don't know. Is that abuse? I don't know. Um, I went upstairs and I put my, my hand on her esoph esophagus right here where it's broken. And I was just was doing this again myself. Now, Jesus hasn't healed her. 
she still has a swallowing problem. But I'll tell you the next morning, the very next morning, we got a call from the specialist in Toronto who we hadn't heard from in two months. So that's a resolved prayer in my book. Um, Jesus is with us. Um, She still may never be healed and she may have complications which to take her life early. I don't know. Uh, But in this book, I, I... uh, in my book right now, I, I, I think Jesus was right with us. Um, or leave people to God. Kids, kids can do this easily. All right, let's imagine so-and-so, grandma or nana, she's not doing well. Um, let's imagine her in our hands, and let's imagine us holding her up to God and giving her over to God to, to, to be with and to heal. These are great ways for kids to pray, and you'll catch yourself needing your imagination as well. Um, or breath prayers. These are easy ways for kids to get into prayer. Um, Jesus, show me your life. It's nothing more than that. Just a simple one-liner. And we need them to have mercy on me. Teach your kids breath prayers. And finally, uh, really listen. Listen to what your kids are telling you. Um, you're going to find that they're in tune with God in ways that parents struggle to be in tune or adults struggle to be in tune with God. Um, make some quiet time in your life and have some quiet time built into your life. Just practical advice. We need some quiet time. We need space for this, our prayer life to develop. Um, make some quiet time in the family. Maybe it's a Saturday where you decide, you know what, for the whole morning on Saturday, we're not going to go anywhere. Um, and finally, if you're someone who struggles to pray and to pray with your kids, maybe it's because you're eating a lot of bread that's one from anxious toil. Maybe your life is so filled up with work and so filled up with anxious toil that you don't have any space to have God in the midst of it. And that's maybe where you need to begin. Where am I not trusting God for my provision? Where am I not trusting him so much that I've left no space intentionally built into my family for him? If that's you, what does that mean for you? How could things change? What, is that, what are the implications for you, for your life? Um, the life of prayer is challenging, friends. It's not easy, um, but we need to do it together. We need to pray together in small groups, in small settings, and, but we need also to pray with our families and our kids. So next week, as I finish off this mini-series, I'm going to be talking with the importance of praying with your spouse or significant other. Uh, and we're going to get into the same kind of thing, not just the practicalities of with your kids, but how to pray with a significant other. And if you don't have a, a spouse or a significant other, some of the things that I'm going to teach about are going to be just, just as good for intimate friendships. How do, how do you pray with a friend who's really close? How do you build that life and that rhythm into your life? Uh, so friends, start praying. Start turning your hearts to God and do it in a community setting. Do it with your kids. You need it. They need it. Uh, and uh, the home is the perfect setting for this kind of thing to get going.